0: Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the second Sunday of Easter, also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God of everlasting mercy, who in the very recurrence of the Paschal Feast kindle the faith of the people you have made your own. Increase, we pray, the grace you have bestowed, that all may grasp and rightly understand in what font they have been washed, by whose spirit they have been reborn, by whose blood they have been redeemed. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever.
1: Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The faithful all used to meet by common consent in the portico of Solomon. No one else ever dared to join them, but the people were loud in their praise, and the numbers of men and women who came to believe in the Lord increased steadily. So many signs and wonders were worked among the people at the hands of the apostles, that the sick were even taken out into the streets and laid on beds and sleeping mats, in the hope that at least the shadow of Peter might fall across some of them as he went past. People even came crowding in from the towns round about Jerusalem, bringing with them their sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and all of them were cured. The word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God.
1: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love is everlasting.
2: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting.
1: Let the sons of Israel say, His love has no end. Let the sons of Aaron say, His love has no end. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love has no end.
2: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting.
1: The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the work of the Lord A marvel in our eyes. This day was made by the Lord. We rejoice and are glad.
2: Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting.
1: O Lord, grant us salvation. O Lord, grant success. Blessed in the name of the Lord is he who comes. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord God is
2: our light. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting. A reading from the book of the Apocalypse. My name is John, and through our union in Jesus, I am your brother and share your sufferings, your kingdom, and all you endure. I was on the island of Patmos for having preached God's word and witnessed for Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and the Spirit possessed me, and I heard a voice behind me shouting like a trumpet, Write down all that you see in the book. I turned round to see who had spoken to me, And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and, surrounded by them, a figure like a son of man, dressed in a long robe, tied at the waist with a golden girdle. When I saw him, I fell in a dead faint at his feet, but he touched me with his right hand and said, Do not be afraid. It is I, the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now I am to live forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death. And of the underworld. Now write down all that you see of present happenings and things that are still to come. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: Alleluia, Alleluia. You believe in me, Thomas, because you have seen me. Happy those who have not seen me, but still believe. Alleluia.
0: The Lord be with you,
1: and with your spirit.
0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John.
1: Glory to you, O Lord.
0: In the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors were closed in the room where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. He said to them, Peace be with you, and showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, and he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so am I sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. For those whose sins you retain, they are retained. Thomas, called the twin, who was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. When the disciples said, We have seen the Lord, he answered, Unless I see the holes that the nails made in his hands and can put my finger into the holes they made and unless I can put my hand into his side I refuse to believe. Eight days later the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were closed but Jesus came in and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he spoke to Thomas. Put your finger here. Look, here are my hands. Give me your hand. Put it into my side. Doubt no longer, but believe. Thomas replied, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You believe because you can see me. Happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. There were many other signs that Jesus worked and the disciples saw, but they are not recorded in this book. These are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing this, you may have life through his name. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Jesus
2: Christ.
0: I must say, I do like the fact that we have this gospel every second Sunday of Easter um, because it spans the eight days that we've just been celebrating. You know, from Easter Sunday, we've had this octave of celebration recalling the resurrection of Jesus We hear about this powerful encounter that the disciples have with Jesus. They're locked away for fear of the Jews, we hear. Um, And you know what? Fair enough. Um, You know, Jesus has just been brutally murdered through the plotting of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. And so uh, probably not unreasonable to think that, you know, maybe his closest disciples are in similar danger. So locked away. Fair enough. But then Jesus comes in amongst them. Peace be with you. And just to drive home the fact, we hear that he shows them his hands and his side. Now, why is there such an emphasis on the wounds of Jesus? Well, it really drives home the point that the resurrection of Jesus is bodily. That the very body that hung upon the cross that suffered the wounds of the nails and the spear is the very one that's standing in front of you. No surprise then that Thomas is the one who sets this as the very criteria for believing in the resurrection. I've got to stick my fingers in his hands and feet. I've got to stick my hand in his side. Then I'll know he's not a ghost or a mirage or the fruit of some collective wishful thinking from everyone in the room. But the thing that's really kind of piqued my interest going through the gospel this time is the question of why Thomas doesn't believe. He hears the report from the other disciples that, hey, look, we've seen the Lord, but, you know, he's not up for it. Now, interestingly, the Gospel of John makes the observation that the reason why Thomas doesn't believe is because he just, he wasn't with them on Easter Sunday. He wasn't there. And it seems to me that there's, you know, sort of, quite a profound insight that's contained in that little detail. Because, you know, what's presented to us on Easter Sunday is a picture of the church. You've got disciples gathered on the day of the Lord's resurrection. They're brought together into an assembly. And it's Jesus who comes into their midst... And he comes with the great promise, the greeting, Shalom, peace be with you. So Thomas doesn't meet Jesus and he doesn't come to faith in the resurrection. Well, why? Because he's just not in the room. He's just not there. And so I think very deeply we see that the presence of Christ, faith, is something that we receive together. How is it that Thomas does come to faith on the eighth day? Well, it's precisely by being with them. By being there again the following Sunday and having Jesus come into the midst of this assembly. Where did Thomas meet Jesus? (laughs) At church on Sunday. In the gathered assembly. Importantly, then, we see that faith is not a solo game. It's funny, even later in the Acts of the Apostles, we hear about the conversion of St. Paul. You know, he's travelling on the road to Damascus and he has this powerful encounter with the presence of Christ. You know, Saul, Saul, I'm Jesus and you're persecuting me, right? Now, you could sort of make the argument that, yeah, but, you know, Jesus interrupted Saul's life... All on his own. Uh, And yet, it's through the ministrations of the church that that Paul is actually brought to true faith. Remember, when he gets to Damascus, it's Ananias who is sent to him to go and baptise him. And this sounds about right, because, you know, Jesus is the great gathering force He's the one who's drawing us not just to himself and to God, but he's drawing us toward one another. And it's no wonder then that meeting him, we meet one another and that he comes to us by means of the other. Where does Thomas meet Jesus? In the gathered assembly, on the day of the Lord's resurrection, on the Sunday. It seems to me to be a beautiful fulfilment of the promise that Jesus gave a little earlier that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Why did Thomas not believe? Because he wasn't with them. There on that first day of the week, on Easter Sunday, Jesus is the one who is in the midst of his disciples And he greets them, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. For those whose sins you retain, they are retained. Now, for the longest time, those words about, you know, the forgiveness of sins seemed like a bit of a non sequitur to me. You know, um, it doesn't seem to, to flow very easily in the course of the conversation. It's like, well, why are you now suddenly breathing on them and, and, and talking about the forgiveness of sins? But you know what? I think to get the full weight of those words, we've kind of got to use our imaginations a little bit to really picture what Jesus looks like in his resurrection and carrying these wounds. Because the reality is, those wounds, they tell a story. They tell the story of the sufferings that he endured, but more than just bearing witness to his pain, they bear witness to our sin. Now certainly those wounds give testament to those who beat him, who bruised him, who cut him. Who tortured him. But you know what? Those wounds also tell the story of Judas's betrayal. They tell the story of Peter's abandonment. Those wounds mark the cowardice of the other disciples. And you know what? Those wounds tell the story of of my sin, my weakness, my pride, my refusal to love, my willingness to lash out at others, my willingness to go with the crowd, my unwillingness to suffer discomfort, my envy, my greed, Those wounds tell the story of the countless times that I've turned my back on Jesus and been interested pretty much only in me. Remember what we heard on Good Friday. The prophet Isaiah told us that ours were the sufferings he bore. Ours the sorrows he carried. We thought of him as someone punished, struck by God and brought low. Yet he was pierced through for our faults, crushed for our sins. On him lies a punishment that brings us peace. And through his wounds, we are healed. The Lord Jesus placed himself in the company of sinners. And look what happened. He suffered. And yet, these wounds now proclaim not simply the story of sin. These wounds now are glorious wounds because they proclaim reconciliation, mercy. He has swallowed up all the evil that was laid upon his shoulders. And now he is fully alive. And the message that he gives to the disciples is, and you too can forgive. Now, importantly, this passage speaks of the power which Jesus gives to his apostles as he sends them out, the power to forgive sins. And it really points to the sacrament of confession or reconciliation by which sins are sacramentally forgiven. But you know what? I, I think there's also a, a sort of broader context here as well. That yes, you know, the apostles now have this special ministry of bringing God's mercy into the world through the sacrament of penance. But, but also that the wounded body of Jesus proclaims to all of his disciples that you can forgive, you can have mercy, you too can swallow up sin and rise victoriously. Because let's face it, like Jesus, when we're surrounded by sinners, we're going to get wounded. We'll suffer wounds because others are cold and callous. We'll be overlooked, we'll be forgotten. We'll also be ridiculed and mocked. Being surrounded by sinners means that sometimes we're going to be used. We can be the object of someone else's manipulation just so that they can achieve some end that they think is bigger than us. And you know what? Standing among his disciples, Jesus is looking at the very ones who shared in doing this to him. And yet he wishes them peace gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, breathing on them and saying, you too can forgive. The image of Jesus' glorious wounds tells the story, firstly, of the gravity of sin, but secondly, the glory of mercy and the secret of peace. Peace be with you, says Jesus, and shows them his hands and his side. And he said to them again, Peace be with you. So we now are the disciples of Jesus gathered on the day of the Lord's resurrection, on the Sunday. And just like the other disciples, we recognize we're in the company of sinners. All of us. The wounded body of Jesus says so. And let's face it, when we look at our own bodies, we see that we've suffered the wounds of others too. But the Lord Jesus comes into our midst. He breathes on us and gives us the power to forgive. And in this way, our wounds can be transformed. Our wounds can become glorious and our life can become new. We meet the risen Jesus in this assembly of fellow sinners. But the presence of the risen Jesus shows us that forgiveness is possible. Mercy is possible. Peace is possible. You know, there's a beautiful little linguistic coincidence in English uh, around the word sin. It comes from the German word Sünde. And that's also where we get the rather old-fashioned word from, sunder, as in to tear apart, to rend asunder. And, you know, that properly describes the reality of what sin is. Sin is to tear apart. Sin is to rend asunder. So what is mercy? It's to gather together, to heal, to make whole, to bring... Peace, And so, you know, as the community of disciples gathered on the day of the Lord's resurrection, I suppose we could ask ourselves, you know, well, is our parish actually like that? Are we as the disciples of Jesus like that? Sin creates petty divisions. Mercy brings peace. The wounds that we carry... They're real and they hurt, but they can be transformed and they can become glorious. That's really when the gathered assembly becomes the place of Christ's presence, where Thomas can really see and touch the risen Lord. Now, this has already been a really long homily, but I want to finish with one final little thought that was um, proposed to me and has kind of been... Rattling around in my brain for the last few days, well, really ever since I heard it. The priest who works with me in the parish, Father Olek, he made a comment about the fifth joyful mystery of the rosary, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. He made the point that so many of us, when we go to the temple, are actually just looking for the devil. What's wrong? What's unorthodox? What's irreverent? What's not liturgical? What's that person's ideology? What's their politics? What's their scandal? It's into the gathered assembly that the presence of Jesus comes. Let's find him because we may discover that he's actually among us, showing us his hands and his side and proclaiming to us, peace be with you.